Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week I'm going to be talking about a game that I had been meaning to play for quite a while, and it finally popped up on a sale on the Switch, and so I, I grabbed it, and I really devoured this one. I really I played it inside of a week. Um, it's a 20-hour game, so I was playing it kind of before bed and late into the night. It was one of those games that really, really gets a hold of you, you know. You have to just keep going to see what's going to happen. It's by Inkle, uh, the developers who most recently released Overboard, and it is called Heaven's Vault. It's a narrative, story-driven game with a really interesting science fiction world and a translation system where you're trying to uncover the secrets of an ancient language. And I had a really fantastic time with this one. I think it's quite a special game and I'm looking forward to talking about it today. But before I do that, actually, I've been um, making a little list lately about a few games that are coming up this year that I've been waiting for and have been excited for and that look like they're going to come out in 2022. And there are, of course, a few big games that everyone is waiting for. Everyone is very interested in Horizon Forbidden West. A lot of people, uh, but not me especially, are very interested in Elden Ring. And of course, people are hoping for a new Breath of the Wild sequel. So there are some big games coming, but there are some really interesting indies coming as well. These are all announced games. Um, None of them have... um, um, Actually, only one of them has a set release date. The others are all tentatively penciled in for 2022. Um, the one that does have a release date is one that I've really been looking forward to, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this game is being made, actually. It's Far Changing Tides. And if you are a regular listener of the show, you'll know that this is the sequel to a game called Far Lone Sails that I played Uh, on my Switch, and really fell in love with. I've actually played through it twice now. It's a really fascinating, kind of low-key indie game in 2.5D, where you play a tiny little character who's just like a speck of red on the screen, really, and you come into a giant ship vehicle with big hulking wheels and a sail on the top, and it's a left-to-right trundling vehicle game where you have to refuel the vehicle, vent steam, keep the engine running and move across an empty landscape, um, which is very evocative, and it's a wordless game, and you learn all that you're going to know about this world pretty much through observing um, the landscape that you're moving through. Um, It's clear that some kind of disaster has taken place. There are lots of wrecked buildings. There are salt flats and dried-up beaches. You come through some extreme weather. You see signs of life, um, and it's clear that civilization has collapsed, and that you are going somewhere, but you're not entirely sure where. Um, all you have to do is just keep moving. And there's something very lyrical about Far Lone Sales that I just, I think about that game all the time, I really do. The music was excellent, and the visuals were excellent, and it was just so subtle and well done. Um, I really loved that game, and so I was very happy to see that a sequel is being made called Far Changing Tides. This time, uh, the vehicle is uh, on water, So you're moving across the oceans, across the waves, and you can dive out of your ship and go beneath the water. 
Um, it's a very interesting looking development on far loan sales. Um, and it has actually got a date. It's just been announced for March the 1st. It's coming out on all the consoles and Steam. Um, but best of all, it's going to be on Game Pass. So day one Game Pass, far changing tides. It's definitely one of the indie titles that I'm most looking forward to in the coming year. Another one that I've been really looking forward to, we haven't seen much of this one yet, but it is still just a fascinating title. It's Citizen Sleeper. Um, this is not a sequel, but a follow-up to In Other Waters, which was the first game by Jump Over the Age. That's the company or pseudonym of a solo developer, Gareth Damien Martin. Um, and I absolutely loved In Other Waters. I found it to be just a very subtle very intelligent, very well put together narrative um, adventure game. In Other Waters is a game where you looking down, you're looking down onto a topography, um, like a line map, and you have to navigate across the ocean floor of an alien planet, um, investigating a missing person, basically. But as you go, you scan the nature around you. Everything comes up in text in a really clean new eye. So you're only really seeing like a radar with lines where the landscape is and contours, um, like a, a graphical topography. And other than that, it's a text adventure. And so the story is told as you scan nature and you delve deeper into the depths and try and find out what's happening on this strange alien world. I found it to be just bewitching. I had a really nice time with that one. It was very mellow. And Citizen Sleeper is the follow-up game. Um, so far, we haven't seen much of it, but it's a narrative RPG set on Erlin's Eye, a ruined space station that is home to thousands of people trying to survive on the edges of an interstellar capitalist society. And so I'm just fascinated by this because I think when you find a solo developer who makes an indie game as their debut game, you kind of feel like you're along for the ride with them to some degree. You feel like you're, you know, you're invested and you're, you're just curious to see what they'll do next if that game has had an impact on you. And so I'm just interested in Citizen Sleeper because it is by Gareth Damien Martin, but I have every faith that Gareth will make something really interesting again. He's a very interesting thinker, um, and a very imaginative writer. Um, and In Other Waters was such an accomplished game that I can't wait to see what Citizen Sleeper has in store. Um, it so far doesn't have a release date, it's just penciled in for 2022. Uh, the next one that I have here is one that you may have heard of. I think it's amongst the most high-profile games on this list. It is Open Roads by Fulbright, the studio behind Gone Home and Tacoma. Um, it's going to be published by Annapurna Interactive, and it was in the Annapurna Direct. So it has had some exposure. Um, I don't know much about this one. I just know that it's a road trip-based uh, game. And the uh, the text that we've seen so far describes it as a mystery thriller, which is pretty interesting. It has a very clean art style. Um and I'm curious to see what this one will be. I don't really have a, an idea of what the gameplay is going to be, but something about the title and the the pedigree of the studio that it's coming from and the fact that Annapurna Interactor are involved, that adds up to enough for me. So I think I'm I'm definitely going to look into open roads when that one comes out. It's, uh, it's dated for some time in 2022. That's all we have so far. Um, the fourth game out of my my Indie 5 for 2022 is Terra Nil. 
Um, this is a really interesting one. This is a Devolver published game by a South African studio called Free Lives, and it's described as a reverse city builder. Um, and I'm very interested in eco stuff. I'm very interested in eco fiction. I'm very interested in um, art that's about ecological matters and art and games and music and all kinds of culture that is most urgently concerned with the ecological zeitgeist that we find ourselves in, uh, climate, biodiversity, all of these kind of things. I love I love material that tackles this and tries to deepen our understanding of it. I think that way too often we understand ecological crisis through the lens of contemporary politics, um, through what politicians are saying and trying to sell to us. Um, and everyone knows that there's a lot of science out there that says the world is headed in an um, alarming direction. And I think that the, the cultural sphere can actually take um, an important role in helping us to understand what this might mean. Um, last year, Signs of the Sojourner was a deck builder that I loved partially because it was about a post-climate society. Um, and it wasn't preachy, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't waving its flag as an eco-game, but it just took into account the place that the world is in right now. And Terra Nil is a reverse city builder. So it looks a little bit like something like SimCity, like a top-down strategy game. But rather than being about building, this one is about reforestation. It's about creating a diverse ecosystem. Um, and that just seems to me to be a very interesting premise. I'm, I'm really keen to get into Terra Nil and to see what it has to offer. I love the idea of a strategy game in which you're not just consuming and building all the time. It's just the most dominant narrative in games is to consume natural resources in order to build. We are always breaking down crystals. We're always chopping down trees. We're just wiping out the whole world um, in games in the most unconscious fashion. And sometimes it bothers me a little bit um, even in very gentle games like Spiritfarer, when you first arrive on a new island, the first thing that you do is start chopping down all of these beautiful trees. And it just made me sad. Like, I don't want to do that, you know. Um, I don't always want to be shooting a bow and arrow at a beautiful animal. Sometimes you just want to look at the animal. Um, and so, I don't know. I'm interested in games that look at alternative approaches to this hunter-gathering and to the relationship that the player has with nature. And so, I'm, I'm fascinated by Terra Nil. By the premise of it. It looks great. I believe there is a demo on Steam that I haven't gotten to yet, Windows only, but that's a really interesting one. Um, it has a tentative 2022 release window. Uh, and the final one that I have here is a game that was postponed at the end of last year. It's called Weird West by Wolfire Studios. And this one, um, it looks cosmetically like Wasteland 3, if you've seen that one, which was itself like built on the idea of the original Fallout games, those top-down Fallout games. So it's a top-down sandbox type game. It's set in a fantastical reimagining of the Wild West. So this is a Wild West scenario with deserts and cowboys, but fantasy creatures as well. It's apparently quite dark in its storytelling. It's an RPG uh, sandbox. And that to me just seems like a winning combination. It's published by Devolver, which is usually a stamp of quality. 
Um, I named them as my own publisher of the year last year, and I, I think a lot of other people did from the podcasts that I've been listening to. Everyone loves Devolver, and they rarely miss. So Weird West is one that I'm, I'm really interested to see what's happening with that one. It's up for pre-order now on Steam. I think it's coming out on all the consoles. And let me see here. It's got a release date of March the 31st. 2022. So there we go. Those are five indie games that I'm really looking forward to. Just thought I'd put them on your radar. First of all, we had Far Changing Tides, Citizen Sleeper, Open Roads, Terra Nil, and Weird West. So those are all games that you can expect to hear about on the show this year. Um, and before I start talking about Heaven's Vault, I will briefly mention that this show is patron-supported. We have a Patreon community, which you can join for a dollar a month or more if you would like. Um, and for that, you'll get occasional extra episodes. You'll get sale recommendations from me for console games or Steam games or PlayStation games or Switch games that are on sale, especially games that have been featured in the show. We have covered almost 150 games on the show right now, and I have a wish list of them. So I get alerts when they go on sale, and I'm always really happy to share with the patrons of the show which games they can grab for cheap. Everyone loves to get a bargain, especially if you play an awful lot of games like um, I, I do, and I assume that you probably do too. Um, we really have to make this work financially, so sales are very helpful. Um, you also get an invite to the Discord community, where listeners of the show and myself just talk every day about what we're playing. We share screenshots, we share recommendations, we share game opinions, and just today we made a Wordle spam channel because everyone's playing Wordle, but I think a lot of people are a little sensitive about um, gumming up the timeline of all their friends with a daily Wordle post. So we made a safe posting place for Wordle. So if you're interested in joining the show, in supporting the show via Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild to do so. I will put a link in the show notes. Um, and you're very welcome to join us, and thank you very much to all my existing patrons. I really appreciate you. And um, with that said, let's move on to the featured game of the episode, the brilliant Heaven's Vault. So Heaven's Vault is a game by Inkle, the developers of 80 Days and Overboard. It first came out for Windows and PlayStation 4 in 2019. It received a Switch port early in 2021. And I think that's actually how I heard about this game. Um, you ever see a game maybe in the, the Switch store or somewhere online and it's something about it sticks in your mind, like maybe the visuals, maybe just the title, maybe just the font, maybe just a piece of music, just something about it sticks in your mind. Well, Heaven's Vault was that game for me, but it went straight out of my mind too. And I would say for about six months, I would sometimes try and think of it. I would think about this mysterious game that had caught my eye and had something very vivid about it but it had just completely gone out of my memory. And so I was absolutely overjoyed when I was flicking through the Switch store uh, just before Christmas and Heaven's Vault was right there on sale. And I was like, that's it. It was a light bulb moment. It was the game that had been on my mind for months. I just could not remember the name of it. 
Um, so it's on the Switch. I played it on the Switch. It performed quite well. A little bit of judder, a little bit of uh, frame drops, but generally uh, playable and good. Uh, Metacritic has this at 76 on PC, uh, 71 for PlayStation, um, which seems surprisingly low to me, although I will freely admit that this is probably not a game for everyone. This is quite a quirky game. It's quite a slow game. And it's really unusual. It really walks an unusual path. So I can understand why it wasn't necessarily a critical smash. But to me, this is a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 game, really. Um, How Long to Beat has it at 20 hours. I think my playtime came in a little over that. But I did uh, linger and do some optional stuff. And it's, it's an open game. So there is no set path through the game. You can navigate to any place on the map. Um, You have many, many optional routes that you can take. Um, And so I think the critical path of this game isn't very obvious. Um, I did a lot of circuitous traveling around and revisiting old places to get advice from characters that I'd met and to see if anything new had opened up. Probably more than you have to. I think you could probably get through this in, in less than 20 hours if you really were just had your eyes on the prize. Um, and this game did get some uh, some critical attention, despite those uh, mediocre Metacritic scores. It was nominated for several awards. It won the Excellence in Narrative Award at the IGF Independent Games Festival. And it was also nominated for a BAFTA. Um, and I, th- I think it was nominated for a whole bunch of awards. And I can see why. This is a really accomplished game that tries to do some very unusual things. And Inkle described this as an archaeologist uncovers a lost history in an ancient space nebula, an award-winning narrative adventure game with hieroglyphic language puzzles. And my own description of this game is Heaven's Vault is an ingenious sci-fi adventure in which you travel interstellar rivers between the moons of a dusty nebula. As a young archaeologist, you uncover and decipher ancient texts via an enjoyable logic puzzle mechanic and slowly build your lexicon to understand a forgotten history. And so this is a kind of a difficult one to explain, but there are a few different um, modes to this game. One of them is when you are on foot and you are walking around on planets, you are talking to people, you are finding objects, you're finding carvings and inscriptions on walls, um, and you you planet hop in this game. So the first aspect of it is when you are on foot. The second aspect of it is when you are sailing between planets, because in the nebula of Heaven's Vault, there are several moons, and they are connected by rivers. These are flows of light that connect planets and collect moons. Um, Along the way, when you're traveling these moons in your ship, which literally has a sail and looks like a sailboat with an enclosed top, it's like a spacefaring sailboat, you'll sometimes pass ruins. These are fragments of land that have on them a building or something like that, or you'll sometimes pass shipwrecks. And you um, you can stop and you can look uh, and explore those as well. You control the ship by using the trigger buttons just to turn left and right. It's a bit clunky. It's not exactly a highly developed uh, driving aspect to the game by any means. But it does break up the on-foot sections nicely. 
So you have the on-foot sections, you have the, the travelling between moons, following clues and that sort of thing. And then the third one, and perhaps the most interesting, is the translation mechanic. So everywhere you go in this nebula, you will find um, antiques, you'll find very, very old uh, jars and implements from the, the forgotten history of this nebula, and often they will have inscriptions on them. The inscriptions appear on the screen, sometimes just like a long block of text, and you have to use your, your own logic and your memory to try and identify where words begin and end. It looks like a, like a Middle Eastern script. It looks a little like, I don't know what exactly, it's like Sanskrit or something like that, but less neat. It's a script with um, characters that have rings, that have tails, there are circles, there are uh, marks that look like punctuation, there are modifiers that um, are in different constellations and configurations. Um, and you don't know what any of these words mean at the start of the game. And you really do have to pay attention to where you find these words. Like if you find something next to a river, maybe it's got something to do with water. And then if you see in the script some symbols that look a little bit like water, then you can start to use the logic to figure out what these words might mean. Uh, and when you when you do correctly decipher words, your protagonist will tell you, um, or will put a question mark next to something that might be right, and you slowly start to build up a lexicon that means that future um, inscriptions that you find will be easier to understand. And you start to untangle the history of this nebula. It's a very, very interesting mechanic. So this is an adventure game in which you're sailing between moons, you are carrying out archaeology, you are finding artefacts, and you are deciphering an, a forgotten language. Um, and, I mean, that's just a fascinating premise for a game, if you ask me. There is no violence in this game. There is no high drama. There is no... Um, there's no it's kind of wholesome, I would say. This is a wholesome game, and it's about archaeology. It's about history. It's about how we understand history. And then it has this allegorical sci-fi society... Um, set in this distant nebula that has a, a class system to it and the different planets have different roles, there is politics and there is also a mystery of the of the forgotten society that you're investigating. Um, but I've gotten quite ahead of myself here talking about the mechanics. Let me just tell you how the game, the game begins. Um, you play a young archaeologist called Alia who is sent out from the university where she works as a fellow on an interplanetary search for a missing professor called Renba. Um, and you are kind of sent out by your, your mother figure who found you as an orphan and is the, the head of the university. And she has this operative called Renba, an academic who has been sent out from the University of the Planet Iox. And he's been on an investigation himself. And you're sent out to, to find out what happened to him, find out why he hasn't reported back, and to start to untangle some of the research that he was doing. And Iox is kind of the, the upper-class moon. It's the most cultured moon in this nebula. And there are other moons dotted around. There is a moon called Elbereth, where your character Alia is originally from, where she was an orphan who was found and brought to Iox. There is a moon called Mercy that's like a farm moon that grows rice, and it's more of a, a forest community that lives more in huts than the 
the grand buildings of Iox or the ancient architecture of Elbereth. And you travel between these moons, you try and pick up the trail of Renba, um, you talk to people um, about where he might be, you try and track down his movements, and you get on his trail. And the game is really about following Renba's trail, but where Renba was up to in researching the history of this nebula wasn't very far, and you're going to get a lot further than Renba ever did into this, this really quite fascinating historical adventure of exploring this, this wonderful nebula. I think it is worth talking about the the aesthetic of this game. It has a very interesting visual style. Um, everything looks hand drawn, and the animation is is quite curious. Um, there are three D rendered environments that you walk through. They're quite simplistic, um, but the characters themselves are hand drawn. I guess you could compare it to something like. Um, Paper Mario in its most recent incarnation in that you're moving through a 3D environment but you have a 2D character um, and the characters don't animate smoothly they have strange keyframes that they kind of blur between as they're moving so they kind of jerk across the screen rather than animating smoothly um, and they fade out and reappear as they take every few steps. It's quite hard to describe, but it's a very unusual visual style um, and quite eye-catching. And as I was playing the game, I felt like it was giving it an odd dreamlike quality. Um, it gave me the same sensation that I will sometimes get in a historical place, like an old church or a city square with statues when the statues and the architecture seem so heavy and so physical and real, and you as a living person, as an organic living person, just walking through these spaces, you sometimes feel the weight of history um, and realize that there are generations of people that walked in these spaces before you were born, and that there will be generations who walk through them after you're gone. Um, and in the context of a game that is about history and is about archaeology, about the study of history, um, how history is studied, how language is studied, how you have to use a variety of different styles of thought, of logic, of piecing together information. And it's about civilizations that have come and gone. And it's about how you arrived at contemporary culture in this nebula. And I thought that the animation style was actually quite clever in that it summoned up that feeling of, of humans being so temporary um, in a place where, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, in the, 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 the cosmic scheme of things, was planets are born, and in the human scheme of things, when empires are born, and uh, civilizations and societies are born and fall. Um, it's very interesting that the game puts you in that through the art style. 
Um, and there is also a timeline in this game, which is quite interesting too. So every time something happens, every time you have a meaningful conversation with someone, every time you find an artifact with a transcription or an inscription rather on it, it will appear on your timeline. So the timeline goes back for the days that you play as Alia, but it also places things in their historical context. So hundreds of years in the past, before the, the contemporary society of this game, there were other societies and the evidence of them litters the nebula. And historical finds are also dated on the timeline all the way back through the centuries. So you have a personal timeline of Alia that is just what you've been doing in your lifetime. And as you find things out about Alia, for example, her birth date, her birth year, um, the course that her life has taken, that will appear on the timeline. But if you find a cup from 500 years ago that has an inscription on it that talks about events of a thousand years ago, then those things will appear on the timeline as well. So it really does have a, a scale of time that you're investigating through the game and it visualizes that for you in a really interesting way. Heaven's Fault was a game that really stuck with me for the time I was playing it. Um, I never really wanted to stop playing it at bedtime, um, and throughout the days when I was working or doing other things, I would always be thinking about Heaven's Fault and looking forward to the time when I could pick up my Switch and play it again. Um, and I think that part of that is that Alia is a very likeable protagonist. She is um, a young archaeologist and historian. She has a headscarf pulled over her head. Um, she's very practically dressed for getting out into these dusty desert moons and this uh, this forested farm moon, dropping into the Iox University um, and visiting her, her old-style hometown on Elbereth. Um, there are people on Elbereth that have known her since she was a child. You'll meet the, the man who found her when she was orphaned and uh, living on the street and gave her a home who looks after the orphans of Elbereth. You'll meet childhood friends of hers, some of whom are experts in tech or in antiquities. And you can take trans uh, inscriptions to them and inscribed objects and pieces of mysterious tech and ask for their help in trying to find out what these things do and what the language says. Uh, and back on Iox, you can visit the librarian called Huang, who is an, um, a language expert and a historian and a, a cataloger of artifacts. And Huang can help you to um, make sense of the things that you found. He can help you to confirm words that you think you know what they might mean. He can confirm them for you, or he can disprove what they mean so that you can, you can try again. Um, and so as you are Alia and you're traveling around this, this beautiful nebula, um, you really get a sense of Alia's personality. She has a robot companion that she's made to take with her, 
who is um, assisting her in her investigations. Um, and as you find clues, for example, the last known location of Renba is a mysterious moon. There you land and you find a ruined building and Alia has to clamber in through a window and let the robot in through the door. Um, and and you've, you feel like you're on an adventure. That's the thing I was trying to get to. The atmosphere of Heaven's Vault is very much of going on a, on a, a dizzying, exciting journey. Um, and there is a real sense of discovery in this game. Like as I would discover words, as you discover the word for goddess, or if you discover the word for pilgrims, or robots, or rivers, um, the words that you're discovering start to plug into old inscriptions that you've found and semi-translated, and you get a sense of ingenuity, you get a sense of um, accomplishment. You feel like you are really actually discovering a forgotten language um, by doing archaeology and by doing transcription um, and by piecing together this history. Um, it, it really does feel good to do. I got very excited playing this game. It was almost like a simulation of of the most exciting time of an academic's life when they were really in the flow of discovery and in the flow of thought. Um, and that to me is a very special quality for a game to be able to summon that up. So I thought I'd finish off this review by running through the good, the good points and the bad points that I've noted down throughout my playthrough of this game. Um, the first good point that I've got here is that the universe itself, the nebula where the game is set, it feels deep and it feels interesting and it has a kind of a hard to pin down feeling of authenticity. The fact that the Ioxians look down on the rest of the nebula and the Elberethians look down on the, the planet Iox as being snobbish and the, the Merzians are the, the farmer people that, that feel um, discriminated against. Um, and when you visit the, the planet of Mercy, um, people will respond to you negatively because they assume that you're an Ioxian. So you get the feeling that the history of this place um, is real and you get the feeling that the culture of this, of this nebula is real and not just like a, a ghost train, as, a, as we've said before on this podcast, that has been set up for your amusement, you get the feeling that you're moving through a very interesting, fully developed world uh, nebula that is just there, and things are happening all the time around you. And as you decipher clues in the nebula, new areas will appear on your map. Um, when you go back to your ship after exploring a site, your map will open and you can click on the map and decide where you're going to navigate to next. You start off with quite a small map area, but as you discover clues, um, more and more clues, you can triangulate possible sites of interest and, and really go out exploring. Um, and you will get choices in this game too. Um, you can choose if you want to go back to Iox, if you've had some communication summoning you back there. Or you can go to Elbereth and talk to your childhood friends and to the antiquities dealer there if you think that they might offer you a clue. So you can ignore your official role at the university or you can go back to the university all the time. Every time they call you, you can choose whether you want Alia to be like dismissive of the robot, which she christens Six, 
or friendly towards the robot or neutral towards the robot, you can somewhat design Alia's character. You can um, have consequential conversational choices and you can just choose where you're going to go next. You, you have several routes open to you and you can pursue any of them at any given time. There is a, a strong sense of freedom in this game where many options are open to you. And based on how successful your translations are, you will uncover more clues. So I think every player will have a very different playthrough of this game. And it was made in Inkle's Ink Engine, which uh, tracks all of the small decisions that you make throughout your playthrough um, and slots them all together into an experience that is really unique to you. I would also say that the translation system is just brilliant. Um, every time that you look at an object, you'll see that script appear and fill the screen. And you can look at it and you can try and look at the character of each letter, whether it has something pointing upwards like a pictogram, whether it's square and technological looking, or it's a flowing shape that looks like nature. And then you combine that with the the site that you found it in, which is additional context that might give you clues about what you're trying to read. Um, and as the sentences break up into words, you really do feel like you are discovering this language and, and you really do get the feeling that you're getting a hard-won understanding and some hard-won knowledge um, that feels important and it feels big and it feels exciting. It was a really good feeling in this game. Not something that I've ever experienced quite like this in a game before, I would say. It's, it's quite profound when that happens. But there, aren't, um, there are a few downsides to this game too. Um, the movement and the traversal itself is, is not great in this game. So when you're controlling the ship, you can't use the stick for some reason. You can only use the trigger buttons, which turn the ship very sharply. Um, it doesn't feel good to control the ship. And, and so I was very thankful in the late game when um, you got the option to autopilot to places that you'd been to before, um, which is like a form of fast travel. You just sit down on your hammock and you tell Six where you would like to go next and the robot pilots you there immediately. Um, the walking is also a bit strange on ground level. Um, there is a little glowing circle that appears below Alia's feet when you have control of her, but often that circle will vanish and she will just walk automatically. Um, she doesn't always walk where you want to go, so I found that when control was being taken away from me whilst walking, um, it often felt arbitrary. Um, it didn't feel good. So both the, the sailing mechanic and the walking mechanic are a little bit odd and a little bit janky and a little bit strange. Um, and I think that for some people that could really put them off. As I've said many times on the show, if it feels good to move through a game, then half the battle is won. In Heaven's Vault, it doesn't ever really feel good to be moving through the game. It always feels like there is an obstacle between you and controlling Alia and controlling the ship. So it is what it is. Um, I would also say the text moves very quickly. It's very dynamic, the way that text moves in this game. It appears on the screen and it fades out just as quickly. Um, and I went into the options and made the text move the slowest possible in the settings. And it was still a little fast. It was very easy to miss things. Um, and, I mean, finally, the performance on Switch, it wasn't great. There was frame hitching. There were short freezes. There were a couple of crashes. 
um, which is a little un- unfortunate. So it's not quite um, slick and polished as, as you might like. But honestly, I feel bad saying negative things about Heaven's Vault. It's a very special game, um, and I really haven't played anything quite like it. It's it's a real accomplishment, and it feels like a really ambitious work of fiction and an ambitious work of interactive fiction. I can see why it won the excellence for narrative IGF. Um, I think there's nothing quite like this out there. I actually much prefer it to both 80 Days and Overboard, um, Inkle's other games, both of which are somewhat more highly rated than Heaven's Vault. This is definitely more of a quirky game, definitely more of a an eccentric game, but what it does is is unique. It's very, very interesting. It's a hearty recommendation from me. That's Heaven's Vault. So that's my review of Heaven's Vault. I hope you enjoyed it. I feel like I've talked quite discursively and rambled a little. Um, I've been a little sick these last few days. I'm not feeling 100%. So I hope that was a legible review and that you got something out of it. Um, If you do decide to play Heaven's Vault yourself, I would love to hear from you. Um, You can find me on social media as Gaming in the Wild. I'm most often on Twitter, but I'm also on Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, all as Gaming in the Wild. You can email me at johnisgaminginthewild at gmail.com. You can talk to me on the Discord, the Patreon Discord. You are very welcome to come and join us on Patreon and express your support for this podcast and join the community. That's at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Um, Thanks very much to all my patrons again. I'll be back next week with a new episode. I'm not quite sure what it will be about. I am playing uh, Mass Effect and just started playing it for the first time, so that's very exciting. Um, I'm playing a couple of other games too. I'm still playing Ender Lilies on the Switch, although I have slowed down because it's quite difficult um, and I've been feeling a little unwell, so I have a bit of the brain fog. I've also been playing Minute of Islands, um, uh, a graphic novel style game. with some puzzles in it that's quite interesting too so i'm not quite sure what i'll talk about but i will be back next week with a new episode thanks very much for listening take care of yourselves and each other and bye-bye for now